Coming up on this week's show, we celebrate the holidays with A.E. Reichart. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 219 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and holiday elf, Will Knaus. Ho, 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 everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Welcome back, everybody. It's another week. It means we've got more books to talk about. Before we get to those holiday reads, let's talk about some news items. Yes, we've got some congratulations to deliver this week. Casey McQuiston got two Goodreads Choice Awards this week. She dominated both the romance and the debut novel categories. In romance, she won by more than twice the votes of the second place book, which is awesome. And all this acclaim was for her debut novel, Red, White, and Royal Blue, which, spoiler alert, also happens to top my best of 2019 list that we'll get into in more detail in a couple weeks here. Uh, If you missed it, you can definitely catch our interview with Casey in episode 187, and we wish her all the congratulations for this acclaim on such a wonderful book. In addition, this past week, the Rainbow Awards were announced. This year was an extra, extra big set of awards because it actually covered the 2018 and 2019 years. There are far more categories in this awards than we can possibly cover here, but we do have a link in the show notes where you can go to the Facebook event where everything was announced. So many books won, so many authors. If your TBR needs to be added to, and if you're listening to this show, it probably doesn't, but you know, if you're like us, you're always looking for more of the stuff in that TBR, you should definitely check out the winners uh, for the Rainbow Awards. And now it's time for our new segment here on the show. It's a well-known fact, re-releases usually don't get the same kind of social media love that new releases do. That's why we are creating Romance Revisited, a look at some of the gay romances that have recently been re-released. It's like the old saying goes, if you haven't read it yet, then it is new to you. That is so true. And of course, it's the holidays, so we're going to look at some Christmas books that have recently been re-released. The first one I want to highlight is called Open Window by Rick R. Reed. I love this blurb. It sounds so good. Two men, one Christmas Eve that changes the courses of both their lives. Henry's homeless and only wants a warm place to sleep on the coldest night of the year. A forgotten open window in a darkened house entices him inside with the promise of warmth and comfort. He knows it's wrong, but he promises himself that he'll be out before the owner wakes on Christmas morning. Except he oversleeps, and the homeowner Jim discovers him asleep under the dining room table. When the shock and the drama dies down, Henry and Jim discover that they might have found quite unexpectedly the Christmas miracle they'd both been longing for. Next up is Too Hot for Santa by Helena Stone. Jonah's fledgling acting career in Dublin comes to an abrupt end when a video of him in a compromising position goes viral. The offer of a part in a Christmas play in Sydney, Australia, arrives at exactly the right time. Meanwhile, down in Australia, Nick isn't happy that the actor he and his sister have hired will be occupying his granny flat. As for Jonah's enthusiasm for Christmas, Nick doesn't get it. He hasn't decorated or celebrated in years. When Jonah turns out to be anything but a stuck-up starlet with delusions of grandeur, 
and Nick proves he's not usually grumpy and borderline hostile, the two men gravitate toward each other. But Jonah's only down under for a few months. It would take a Christmas miracle for them to have a future together. Don't you want to do Christmas in Australia sometime and just flip it over sober in in the warm summer for Christmas? That sounds lovely, but you know my aversion to long plane flights. So the <laughs> the chances of me ever actually getting to Australia are very slim, unfortunately. Okay, well, somebody needs to hurry up and build the transporter system then <laughs> so we can just beam across the planet. <laughs> the last one I want to talk about is Dreams of Winter's Past, which is a short story anthology from Shay Connor. And here's a couple of the stories that are in here. One... This, this wins for me the, the title contest for this week, The Half-Life of Pumpkin Pie. Will's holiday season is off to a crappy start. The pie he takes to Thanksgiving dinner bombs, and then he gets word that his payment at the bakery didn't go through. When he goes to the shop to pay up, though, he meets Vin, who invites Will to a toy-themed holiday party. But when the pair arrive, they find the toys aren't exactly what they expected. And then sharing Christmas. Christmas looks to be a bust for Rick, who's stuck covering the office for the holiday. But when his neighbor Stephen invites him to join some residents in their apartment complex who put together gift bags to distribute at a homeless shelter for the holiday, Rick decides to join them and gets an unexpected holiday gift in Stephen. If you'd like to browse this week's complete list of re-released titles, head on over to the show notes page for episode 219 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. The new adult hockey romance, Rivals, by Jeff Adams, is now available in audiobook as performed by Derek McLean. Mitchell Turner and Alex Goodman squared off on the ice throughout high school. Their rivalry was tough on Mitchell because he harbored a huge crush on Alex. With high school and college behind them, they meet unexpectedly on Thanksgiving Day, once again on the ice. Mitchell is thrilled to see his one-time adversary all grown up. With their rivalry in the past, could this be the start of something magical for the holidays and beyond? Written by Jeff Adams and performed by Derek McLean, Rivals is available at Amazon.com, Audible, and iTunes. Also available in ebook. Get your copy today. So as you might expect two weeks out before Christmas, we're all about the holiday books this time and Will's going to kick us off. I want to talk about Mr. Right Now by Annabeth Albert. This features big, brawny, nice guy ex-Marine Russ who gets dumped the day before Thanksgiving. The problem was his ex-boyfriend was going to prepare the holiday meal for his family. Enter handsome, nice guy former actor Esteban who decides to do the charitable thing and give his clueless neighbor a hand. They prepare the meal together, and when Russ's family arrives early, a simple misunderstanding leads them to believe that Russ and Esteban are a happy couple. Now, the sting of getting dumped is still, understandably, fresh for Russ, so they play along. The meal goes incredibly well, and Esteban discovers that he really enjoys playing Russ's pretend boyfriend. In fact, everyone there thinks they make the perfect couple, including Russ's boss, Connie. He wants a promotion to become a designer in her kitchen remodeling firm. Esteban's kitchen redesign is going to serve as sort of a a test of his abilities and whether he can handle a job with real-world challenges. It also behooves Esteban to impress Connie, who as a local business owner might be willing to donate to the literacy nonprofit that he works for. So, fake relationship it is. 
Now, pretending to like each other doesn't prove particularly difficult for our two heroes. This is when we enter the part of the book that is all about, you know, nice guys, being nice, doing nice things. And I know nice doesn't sound particularly engaging or exciting, but trust me, these two are so damn cute together. (laughs) They make dinner together one evening, fish tacos, which is not my thing, but hey, whatever floats your boat. (laughs) Russ helps make Esteban's gala fundraiser a success, and Esteban is the perfect supportive boyfriend at Russ's holiday work party. It's all so cute, and it's romantic, and it's completely satisfies my kink for nice guy cinnamon roll type heroes. When Russ is finally ready to show Esteban some of his kitchen concept designs, they celebrate with a kiss and mutual (laughs) blowjobs. They definitely have chemistry together (laughs) in the bedroom and out. And as they continue to spend more and more time together, they continually keep putting off the plan to break up their fake relationship. After Christmas Eve with their respective families, they spend their first night together. Esteban unwrapping Russ is the only gift that he really wants. It's amazing and it's perfect and afterwards the pillow talk turns serious. Russ knows what he wants and is ready to say it. Esteban is the one who becomes gun shy. They've only known each other a few weeks and they can't possibly be in love. If he can't acknowledge what he really feels then Russ is secure enough to walk away. This is a romance, of course, so Esteban quickly comes to his senses so they can live out their happily ever after together. There's a wonderful epilogue showing our happy couple one year later on New Year's Eve, and it wraps up the story very sweetly in a cute little romantic bow. Uh, Mr. Right Now by Annabeth Albert is a perfect holiday romance that executes its fake relationship trope flawlessly it's no secret that this is one of my favorite all-time tropes and the way this author naturally builds the emotional connection and the romantic attraction between the heroes is it's so swoony guys it's really (laughs) really good annabeth albert has a way of creating characters who are nice and thoughtful and they lead with kindness heroes that you can immediately empathize with and fall for and that is why i highly recommend mr right now that book had you written all over it. It really did. I'm so I glad know. you liked it. It was like it. tailor-made for me. It was everything I ever wanted, Christmas book. So last year, I was slightly annoyed with you because you took <laughs> Max Walker's Christmas book out from under me, <laughs> and I did not get to see what Max does for Christmas. Well, this year, I snagged his book, A Royal Christmas Cruise, before you could get your hands on it. Damn you. And, oh, it was so, so good. Now, this book is part of the Stonewall Investigations Miami series, although it is certainly designed to be stand-alone in this case. As Annabeth's book did for you, this one plays into so much of my likes. I mean, first, it's a holiday story, so score. But we've got royalty here, because if you give me a Christmas story that involves a prince or a king or something like that, falling for somebody, I'm all over it. We've also got Fake Boyfriend, and it also has a little bit of forced proximity here, because if you consider that these two are on a cruise ship, there's only so many places you can go where you're maybe not going to run into each other. So the book opens as we meet Nicolas Silva. He is the Prince of Spain, and he breaks up with his girlfriend just a few days before he's scheduled to go on a Christmas cruise. And he does the breakup because he knows he's gay. He's known it for a long time. He hasn't been able to come out to his parents or really to anybody at all uh, because of his royalty. He decides to get away from Spain for a while and go on this cruise that he'd actually booked with his girlfriend. 
So he's going to get away and think about what he needs to do. Meanwhile, you've got Shiro Brooks, who is one of Stonewall Investigation's team. He is headed out on a Christmas cruise to reunite with some old friends, but he's dealing with a recent breakup. And this breakup is actually somebody that his circle of friends knows from their history together. And he's worried about showing up as the only single guy amongst all of his coupled friends. So he's out there and he's a little worried about it, thinks about not going on the cruise, but he does it anyway. So I've never personally been in a security line at an airport or anywhere else where hilarity actually ensues, but Max sets it up. So as they're boarding, Shiro actually gets pulled out of the security line because something is triggering off the metal detectors and he's taken behind kind of a flimsy curtain and he's asked to strip down to his boxers. Uh, And in this case, he has worn little briefs that have little bananas all over them and as he's trying to get back in his pants after he's been cleared, he he falls over and knocks down the barricade and everything. And so he is exposed in his banana boy briefs and is seen by this man who he thinks is the hottest man he's ever seen. Everybody laughs. They go on. And in another moment that I truly loved, these two have their meet cute in a little bookstore that is kind of in the gangway as they're, as they're trying to board the boat. And who doesn't want to meet cute amongst a bunch of books? They get together, they have a scorching kiss, and after that kiss, Shiro actually asks, against his better judgment, if Nicholas would be his fake boyfriend for the cruise so that he'll have somebody to hang out with his friends with. Nicholas surprisingly says no, despite that smoking hot kiss, because, you know, he's a prince and he's trying to be on this ship incognito. So they go on, but... As Shiro's meeting up with his friends for the very first time, Nicholas actually shows up and starts to play the part, which does throw Shiro, but he falls into it, and they proceed to take on this fake boyfriend relationship. Now, let's talk about holiday-themed cruises. This place has fake snow crunching underfoot as you're walking around in the lobby. We've got festive signposts poning the way to the different parts of the ship. There's snowflakes and garlands and a giant Christmas tree. There's an ugly sweater party. There's a sexy Santa dance. There is a blizzard foam party. What is not to like about this ship? And amongst all this, Shiro and Nicholas launch into a very steamy, very hot, sexy relationship. These two, when they're actually not out trying to be with Shiro's friends, are in bed having some of the steamiest sex, including a wonderful shower scene in Nicholas's stateroom. Shortly thereafter, though, as they're going through this and having a wonderful time, it is discovered that someone on this ship is paparazzi and is taking pictures of the two and trying to put them out on the Internet. Now, Nicholas has shown up here with his head of security, Luna, who's keeping a discreet watch on him. And Shiro and Luna team up to try to find out who is the paparazzi in this case. So there's a nice little thread here of investigation for our investigator to actually get involved in. Shiro's confused, for one thing, why Nicholas is so concerned about why these images are getting out. But of course, he's not out. So it is extremely bad that images from the Prince of Spain on a cruise ship kissing another guy are leaking out into the world. As Nicholas is revealed to Shiro because he's got to come clean... (sighs) Much like your two sweet guys, these two guys just get so 
schmoopy sweet because they want to figure out how Nicholas can come out because he's so it's it's causing him so much stress to no longer be able in any way to stay closeted. He needs to come out, be his authentic self. And even while Shiro's not sure how he could possibly be the right guy for the Prince of Spain, as these two find their way to be together, it is so ridiculously sweet. Oh my God, it is everything you would want in a holiday story. I cannot recommend this enough. There's just enough of, of the intrigue of who's taking these pictures. You get this really schmoopy sweet story between these two guys. It's one of the best prince and common folk story that I've ever read. The HEA is so wonderful. Max jumps us forward to the next Christmas and uh, we find out how good things have come. And if you listen to Max's interview a few weeks back, you know, he talked about other places that Stonewall investigations might turn up. I personally wouldn't be surprised if there's a Stonewall Spain in the future. So I highly recommend Max Walker's A Royal Christmas Cruise. Cool. Quickly, I want to talk about and recommend the latest from Claire London. If you listen to the show, you know that we are a big fan of hers. It's called He's Behind You. It's about a guy named Frank, who is an actor of, shall we say, moderate success. He's returned to his small Devon village only to be asked by his mother to help out with this year's Christmas panto. And as the auditions later prove, there is literally nothing more eccentric than the inhabitants of a charming English village. Frank is kind of uh, bowled over, in both good and bad ways, by the eclectic range of talent, shall we say, on display from the local townsfolk. And he certainly isn't expecting to see Dreamboat Duncan, the one that got away, or in this particular instance, the one that Frank pushed away. Because roughly a year earlier, Frank landed a gig on a soap, and Duncan got a job on an oil rig, so Frank ended things before they could ever really begin. And since he's now faced with Duncan again, Frank can't help but feel that old spark and wonder if he made the right decision. Rehearsals for the Cinderella-themed show forced the two of them to spend more and more time together, leading them to talk through their past and the situations that have led them back home. At the final dress rehearsal, it looks like Frank just might get his Christmas wish, but Duncan makes it clear that he's not interested in a no-strings fling. Unless Frank is willing to make a serious attempt at a relationship, Duncan won't risk getting hurt again watching him walk away like he did before. On performance night, a pair of kitschy Christmas gloves bring the two of them together, not unlike Cinderella and her glass slipper, and they decide that they just can't fight that feeling anymore. Everyone in town ends up loving the show, and at the after party, Frank and Duncan celebrate with more than just a kiss under the mistletoe. They take a quick tumble in a supply closet, and Frank's mom is quite pleased that her matchmaking has created a satisfying happy holiday for everyone involved. I have always enjoyed Claire London's uniquely British take on romance, especially when it comes to quirky side characters who populate the story of two nice guys finding their way back to love. He's Behind You is relatively short, but it still manages to pack a sweet romantic holiday punch that I really, really loved. And it has one of the cutest covers of the holiday season. So after we did the impreg discussion back in episode 215, I was really intrigued with one of the books that Sylvia Violet was putting out called The Christmas Dragon's Mate. 
I've never done Omegaverse, but, you know, we got dragons here, people. <laughs> that really interested me. So I took the dive on this book. And we've got Laszlo, who's been looking for his mate for over a thousand years. And he finally finds a guy that he's interested in while shopping for Christmas ornaments. Laszlo is very into, you know, he's a dragon. He's got his horde and he likes pretty things. And so he's going into the local Christmas shop to find all the pretty glass baubles for the year. And in there, he finds Roman. And he immediately knows that Roman is the guy. Roman is his fated mate. Roman doesn't know what to make of this guy who... You know, he's got the pull of an alpha, but Roman's not really sure why that's impacting him, even though he's coming up on his heat, so he's more susceptible to that kind of thing anyway. He's intrigued by Laszlo, especially the way his eyes shine. And Laszlo goes to great lengths to get Roman to come home with him, including practically buying out the entire store just so Roman has to help him get the stuff home. It, it's so ridiculously cute. I can't even tell you how... Roman gets so flustered at all the moves that Laszlo's making because Roman doesn't have a lot of experience. He's not really sure if he's being flirted with or if he's just being messed with as this kind of keeps going. But ultimately, Laszlo gets young Roman home and they have a little bite to eat and have a little discussion. Laszlo makes Roman feel comfortable enough that Roman's going to share his heat with anyone now for the very first time. Much sex ensues up in the dragon's lair. I didn't know what to expect here. If it was going to be more dragony or more humany, it is very much in the human form. I got to to see in practice. You know, we talked about in that interview the whole thing with the nodding. So this is the first time I've gotten to read any of that, and that was truly fascinating. I see what was meant in that discussion by how that just increases that bond and that moment where you can't really roll away. And Laszlo is so, I don't even really know how to explain it because his alpha self is always out there, but he's constantly fighting against his dragon taking over because his dragon just wants to finish this and just make Roman the mate and move on. Whereas Laszlo wants to be the more romantic, the more we're going to take this a little bit slow here and really play the romance part of this and that that those first days of sex go on for three or four days in this book to the point where Roman's friend who he had left word with where he was going to be actually turns up at the house because he's like are you okay because it's been a few days and you're not answering your phone but yeah it's so sweet once I got into it and it took me a second to get into this alternate Omega universe. But once I got there, I enjoyed so much. As one would expect in this book, Roman does get pregnant. And that really throws him off kilter because he had been on birth control. But apparently a little dragon magic seems to have negated that. And so he goes through the pregnancy and continues to work in the village, despite the fact that Laszlo's dragon really wants the mate to just stay home and be taken care of. But they make it where Roman can continue to work. There is, of course, a little bit of conflict, as one must have in a romance novel. Laszlo has a worker in his house who really wanted to be Laszlo's mate. And Roman becomes convinced that there's been some cheating going on, even though Laszlo said that would never happen. And it does force him to try and leave the house. But, of course, that is quickly 
put aside as Laszlo assures Roman that no, no such thing would happen. But I will tell you that you do not want to piss off the dragon uh, because the guy who caused all this is quickly dealt with and removed from the household. As I was reading this, I, I told Will that there had better be a moment where there is a full-out dragon. I was about at, at the halfway point and Laszlo had not yet fully displayed his dragon for Roman. And I really wanted to see that come to pass in the book. It did happen towards the end. It was swoonily romantic, the idea of Roman flying through the air on the back of Laszlo. Sylvia wrote it to such vivid detail. I really loved it. I had no idea what to expect taking on my first Omegaverse book, but I did enjoy The Christmas Dragon's Mate by Sylvia Violet. If you're interested in learning more about the books or anything else that we've talked about in this week's show, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 219 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at Facebook.com slash BigGayFictionPodcast and see what we get up to next. So this week we get to talk to author A.E. Reichart. A couple of weeks ago, Will reviewed her first Christmas book for the season. And we're going to hear about that book, about the Jack and Rory series, her second Christmas book for the season, and about her other series. Well, I'm pleased to announce that we have author A.E. Reichart here on our show. Hello. Hello, hello. Those of you who have listened to the show for at least a little bit of time know that I am a crazy, bonkers, enthusiastic <laughs> fan of her Jack and Rory series, which she started <laughs> last year. And she has a brand new installment and A.E. is here to talk a little bit about that book. It's called A Christmas Wedding. And A.E., can you give us a little bit of background about the um, first book and sort of the origin stories of Rory and Jack? Sure, yes. Okay, A Kiss Before Christmas was, was last year's offering. And it's a fake boyfriend story. And Rory pitches up in, in Jack's life by huddling on his doorstep during a winter storm just before Christmas. So of all the doorsteps, of all the houses in London that he could have chosen, yeah, he ends up on Jack's because, you know, this is romance after <laughs> all. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got nowhere to live and Jack, out the kindness of his heart, takes him inside and gives him a cup of tea, because yeah, this is England, um, a sandwich. And basically Rory <laughs> never actually leaves. And because because Jack is so good good to him, he sort of really saved his life on this you know nasty winter's night. He agrees to pretend to be Jack's new hot boyfriend, but of course he isn't because Jack has a function to go to that's very posh, and his ex boyfriend who who dumped him is going to be there. So he feels he's got something to prove, and of course you know that. As you would expect, the fake feelings turn to, to warmer, more loving feelings. And, yeah, it's a fake boyfriend who turns out not to be so very fake in the end. And Then Rory and Jack's story continued uh, on into the spring with the second story. Yes, that's right. That is an Easter promise. And what happens there is that these, these two are now together and they go down to the... The, the Lacey ancestral home in deepest Devonshire to meet Jack's parents. 
and things go wrong. Jack's parents are, are, are good people, but his mother, Diana, is very... Is, is indomitable. She re- really is. She's a she's a force of nature, and she's not very trusting of, of Rory, at least at least to begin with. He gets involved in in the village bake off. He helps to judge the cutest pet in 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 show competition, and he really does win over the the family. And you know, there, there's an incident out on the moors on a stormy night. Yeah, because this is Devonshire. This is Dartmoor. You know, this is this is heavy stuff. And of course it all ends up very nicely. And there's a dog. Of course there's a dog. There's a dog called Badger, who who's who's Rory's best friend pretty much. Mm-hmm. Cutest dog ever. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually happens to make an appearance in the third installment, the recent really released A Christmas Wedding. So bring us up to date. Where are Rory and Jack at now? Uh, Okay. This is two years on from when they 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 first meet, and during that that time they've they've opened a very successful bakery business, the, the Bakehouse. It's called. It's an artisan bakery because Rory, by profession, is 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 is, is a baker, and so th- this this business is is going from strength to to strength, and so they're very they're very stressed out. It's Christmas. They've got lots of orders, and so Jack's mum, Lady Diana, takes over the wedding planning. And Rory's very, very uneasy about it, really. He doesn't feel like he's involved enough. He feels that she's taking over, you know, additional guests get added to the guest list and, and, and so on. That simple winter wedding that they, they both wanted so much is turning into a bit of a society do. And it, it's not it's not them. But, you know, they're, they're tough, doughty boys and they, they do stand up to to diana and they get the wedding of their dreams and there's a few surprises along the way so there's issues about family and reconnection and being accepted and sort of you know rising above difficulties that life can can throw at you and i've left it a little bit open at the end so that you know there's room for more in this whole jack and rory universe if i go down that route Mm -hmm. And most importantly, in this installment, there's still lots of wonderful holiday food and an utterly hilarious story about Desmond the donkey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love Desmond the donkey. I tell you, that really is the toned down version because I was going for it big time with a good (laughs) head and his his antics in the church but yeah i i just i just loved it i i was in hysterics as i as i was writing it and what i i particularly write, uh, liked about that scene with with desmond is that it's it's been told by diana in a very straight faced rather rigid way and against all this rory's getting gently pissed in the background um by you know you know getting up close and personal with mr merlot so, yeah, that's a good scene. I like that one. I'm glad you did, too. Mm-hmm. And food, of course. I think I think your books have been part of the reasons why we've been so turned on by mince pie. Oh, and <laughs> she actually brought mince she's, pies. Oh, she's got some. Yummy. With a, with a cute snowflake on top. <laughs> we will be trying your recipe later in this oh, season. So we'll be checking that out. <laughs> now... The three stories that sort of make up the ongoing story arc in Jack and Rory's love 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 saga 
there is a, a continuing story, but I think you've you've said yourself that each story stands on its own and can be read without the previous volumes. Mm. I think it's always better if books can be read in, in order, but you really don't have to do that with any of the Roaring Jack books or indeed with, with anything I write. You can take a book out of order and not be thinking who, what, where, why, because what needs to be explained is explained where it's needed. And that's really good. I like I like stories I could do that because, you know, you've mm. talked so much about A Christmas Wedding. I may have to pick that up before the season's over. Mm, you should. I highly recommend it. And you love Christmas stories and you actually have another one <laughs> that will be out by the time this actually airs. Um, yes. Tell yes, us about it. Yeah, this one is called The Boss of Christmas Present, and it's a very light nod towards A Christmas Carol. Um, It's a contemporary, and it's set in London, as most of my books are. And it's about an arrogant, selfish man, the the boss. He's he's not a good guy to to work for. He's, He's all about himself. He's a bit of a slave driver to his staff, and he has his PA, who's very much put upon. But this guy, the the PA, Jordan, he has a crush on Conrad and he's been working there for a couple of years at the the Ryder Corporation. And he's thinking it's no good. I'm going to have to move on. You know, I can't take it much, much longer. What, What happens is Jordan gets offered some interviews for other jobs and Conrad finds out and it's a bit of a wake-up call because he then thinks how am I going to function not just his office but I mean Jordan runs his life he books his weekends away with his various various men he takes his suits to the dry cleaners he gets his groceries delivered and it's a bit of a wake-up call for him and he he has a conversation with a uh, a good friend who doesn't take an any rubbish from him and said, look, you've got to start treating people better. And what happens, I don't want to give too much away, but Jordan and Conrad, they both end up on their own on Christmas Day. But of course they don't end up on their own because they end up with, with each other. So I, I don't want to say say too much more. I mean, it's it's a, it's a little novella. It's only about 26,000 words. But it, it is sweetness overload. It re- really is. I mean, this is like mince pies on steroids. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to be responsible for any sort of tooth decay that comes from reading this, <laughs> this story, especially as there's a three-legged dash hound in it who has a Christmas jumper. So <laughs> I think that gives you a, a bit of a, a, a taste for, for what's going on here. But I loved writing it. I thought it was, it, it was, fun. It was fun to write, and it, it, was, it was nice, light relief. And I have to ask, having heard the, the name of the donkey and the name of the dog and the Rory and Jack book, what is the dachshund named? Dodo. He's he's Dodo the dubious duck sound because he's a bit of a duck sound mix, actually, and he's only got three legs. Poor Dachshund. <laughs> That's just sad. <clears throat> <laughs> now, you've released a lot of books this year. Let's talk about a few of the other ones you've put out. Back in August, you put out Release, which is a Rent Boys yeah. novel. Tell us about that and what we have to expect in other Rip Boys novels. Okay, well, I'm going to start working on book two in, in, in the series just as soon as the uh, the next Christmas book is out. But yes, release was actually born out of a little novelette that came out about this time last year called Company for Christmas, 
which was um, about a rather hapless rent boy. And that's a Cinderella story. So instead of a glass slipper, there's warm woolly coats and so on. And one of the housemates of Nathan the rent boy in that story is called Sean. And Sean is pretty much ahead of the household of, of, of this little found family. And as I was writing that, I just thought to myself, this this guy needs a story. He really does. He really sort of like took me by the the throat and gave me a good old shake. And so that's really how the Rent, Rent Boys series started. Now, what I should say is that release is about finding a new life. It's an opposite as a track story. So it's the Rent Boy and the artist story and two people who, who should never, ever have met. But they have a lot in common, although they come from very different backgrounds. And both are trapped in these lives that they don't want. Sean wants desperately to, to leave his life on, on the streets, but he is crippled by self-doubt because this is all he can do. And when the book opens, he's getting steadily drunk in the bar because he's he's had a day where he's just been knocked back. He's He's gone for jobs and he's been told, well, what have you been doing since you were 16? You've got no track record. You know, who's going to employ you? And so he sees no way out. And in the same way, the art historian, Laurie, he has a very confined, very ordered, very traditional life. And he thinks he likes it like that, but he's starting to feel a little bit bored, a little bit hemmed in. And when they meet, that is the catalyst for their lives to change. Hence the title, it's about release. It's about release from lives that don't fulfill them in, in any sort of meaningful or emotional way. And you know they 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 come together and they give something to each other that is missing. They they are each other's jigsaw piece that that they don't have to complete the picture. Where do you see this series going? You mentioned you're going to start working on the next book here shortly. Yes, I want to sort of work through the rest of the housemates because they they are very much a found family. They they live in this like in this pit of a house, but they're. They are a very strong unit. And of course, Laurie has now sort of come into that house as well. And he has a friend. He, he's got a friend who uh, is, is quite a difficult person. And his, his name is Toby. And he plays quite a role in, in release. He's got a very hard shell. But yeah, there's a lot going on in the background. And it's going to be his story and the story of one of the housemates who's called, called Ben. And... I've got lots of ideas that I are starting to brew with this story. That's exciting. Something to look forward to for sure. Mm. And you've also got your Deviant Heart series that had a new book this year. Yes. Yeah, that's that's another trilogy. I, I, I do like trilogies. I'm not one for long series, either for, for writing them or, or indeed reading them. I get, I get series burnout, I think. Yeah, Deviant Hearts, that, that is what I would say is my romantic suspense series and the, the, fir the first one is captive hearts and that's a crime boss and he's kept boy if i can put it like like that and he's rescued from his situation by the guy who is employed to be his minder gopher you know somebody to drive drive him drive him around and as the books go on i ramp up the the suspense element until we get to the last book in the series, which is which is Perilous Hearts. And that is essentially a psychological thriller. 
there's a lot of gaslighting going on. There's a stalker. One of the main characters really does start to doubt his sanity because of the things that are happening to him. Little things, drip, drip, drip things. Finding food in the fridge that he never bought. Finding things moved around in the flat that he never moved. And against all this going on, and you obviously find out why it's going on and who's doing it, although it becomes quite obvious who's doing it, but it's not a who done it, it's why they're doing it, not who's done it, but why. But against all this, there's a um, friends to lovers romance story going on. And I'm, I'm really proud of this book because it's something that's, that has my stamp as as Reichardt, but I've, I've 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 taken the route that I never thought I I would have taken, which is down that whole suspense psycho thriller road. And I and I just loved writing it. I had I had a really good good time. So more psychological thriller romantic suspense coming soon. Since you enjoyed that, yes, yes. So. I'm coming towards a bit of a crossroads in, in my writing, if, to, to be honest. And it's something that I've been thinking about for quite some time, but it, it feels like it's coming to a head now. So I think looking looking into next year, yes, there is the Rent Boys series to continue with. And, you know, maybe there'll be some more Roaring Jack. We'll just have to see see how that, that goes. But there are two there are two strands there, there's a whole sort of romantic suspense the the psychological thriller stuff that i really did enjoy writing and i think that that's something i could seriously get my teeth into so as Reichardt, i want to go more down that that route but writing the rory and jack stories they were partly an experiment to see if i could write those sort of sweeter more heartwarming more heartfelt stories because I hadn't written anything like that up until I did A Kiss Before Christmas last year. So I didn't know if I could do it because my previous work is, is nothing like that. It's, it's much grittier, much, much heavier. But because I found that I could and because I found that I enjoyed doing it, I'm looking at two, two strands. Now, whether I do both of these strands as Reichardt or whether I do one under another pen name but not you know disguising that it's me that it's the same person i don't know and i'm i am flip-flopping backwards and forwards in my thinking oh yeah i lie i lie in bed at night sometimes thinking yes i'll do this i'll do this i did this and then no i won't that's a crazy idea <laughs> it's not it's not oh yes it is it's not it's not yes it is and it's all it's all it's all a bit like that so you mentioned while we were talking about deviant hearts that it had the stamp of of, of reichardt on it what are those things that make the Reichardt stamp? Oh, the Reichardt. I like that. The Reichardt. Um, <laughs> gritty and hard-edged, often with a big injection of realism running running through the the books. Many many of the Reichardt books are, are very much rooted in an environment that I know. So they're, they're set in parts of London that I know because I've lived in them, I've worked in them, I've, I've known them you know, on, a, on a, a social basis, if I can put it like that. And so I like to bring that realism into my stories. So that, that's partly what I mean by, by the, the realism. And my characters often tend to be very, they're very complex. Sometimes they're not easy to like. 
they do the wrong things quite quite often they do the wrong things and you think why are you doing that you're just making it worse but i think life is often like that we all make these decisions that sometimes we know we should not be making them but we do them all the same and i and i think in a lot of my books that that is in, infused through them so you wouldn't pick up a book by by a reichardt for a light and fluffy read except the christmas books i was going to say except maybe for the rory and jack books yeah, yeah, no, that they are. That I mean, they they do have my stamp, in as much that you know it, it it's the same style, but I've I've gone down different routes, obviously for for those books. So with the the Christmas books, it's yeah the the the, the, the characters are on the lighter side of life, even if they don't experience the lighter side of life at, at, at times. The, the, the guys in the other books are much more screwed up in many ways. <laughs> what got you started writing gay romance? Yeah, I, 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 I do, do get asked this a, a lot. And the answer was the Kindle. I was bought a Kindle for Christmas a few, a few years ago now, and I, I resisted the Kindle with with you know with with a lot of power i didn't want them i, I just like my my paperback books but i, I got a, i got a kindle and as, as you know there's all the free and the really cheap books that, you, that we're all sort of churning out and i was down, downloading all sorts of things I, I mean i was a big reader of non-fiction ra rather than, than, than fiction lots of travel writing lots of, sort of like you know socio-political stuff that sort of thing but i was downloading everything and I do quite like sort of horror, horror and supernatural in, in fiction. And I don't really know how I did it, but I downloaded a shifter story and it was a gay shifter story. And I thought, what the hell is this? I've never heard of anything like this. And I, I can't remember who wrote it, but I, I, I read it and I thought, oh, this is really, this is really good. This is really, really good fun. It was totally silly, totally silly. But I started devouring these shifter books and it, and it introduced me to this whole world that I, I had no idea existed. And so, you know, shifters became a bit like cupcakes in that, you know, I just had enough. I couldn't stomach any more of them and I was looking for something a bit, um, a bit beefier and a bit meatier. So I started actually looking for contemporary, which is what, what I like. And I started to discover writers and, and just started reading. I, I ended up losing my job. I got made redundant and I had a lot of time on my hands. And so I started my first book, um, which is called Imperfect. And I approached it as a hobby. So I'd write a little bit and then leave it for a couple of weeks and then go back to it. And I wrote it in longhand because, yeah, I know, I know, like something like 75,000 word uh, book and I wrote probably about 95% of it in longhand because if I went onto the computer I felt really guilty because I thought I've got to be looking for a job I should be on the internet I shouldn't be sort of you know tapping in my story so I wrote this book in a complete vacuum I'd never heard of Goodreads or barely I didn't know about all these Facebook groups I didn't know that readers really didn't like um, an MC who cheated. Hey, and guess what? <laughs> yeah, so I, I got I got I got hammered in a lot of quarters for for that for that book because 
one of the MCs, he does cheat, but not on the, the person he ends up with. I mean, he, he's completely self-aware. He knows what he's doing, and he knows that he, he's a bit of a bastard, frankly. <laughs> and he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't care until he, he, he gets with the guy that he, he ends up with. But what's quite interesting about, about that book, which contains all the newbie mistakes you can imagine, you know, they're, they're filling out the pages... But that book has garnered me some of my, my most loyal readers, and they've just stuck with me. Had you had any inclination to writing before you started that book because of the MM you'd been reading? Not really, no. Language and storytelling fascinates me, but I never had any particular ambitions to to do it myself. And and also, I was I was like you know busy building uh, another life, you know, building a career, setting up a home. Yeah, life was just very busy, so I didn't have any any room for writing, even if I thought thought about it. But you know, until the the event of of the Kindle and the whole self publishing um, revolution got got underway, it it was almost impossible to write because you had to get through all those gatekeepers mm-hmm. who did their best to you know to to keep keep you down really. But you know, it's a much more democratic world now in terms of of writing. If you want to write. You can write and publish, you know, not always wise, but, um, you know, that, that opportunity is there. So it's only really once I started reading this this genre that, as, as I say, I just didn't know about it, didn't know it existed until I'd really just stumbled on it by accident, that I thought, well, actually, I can do this because, you know, I, I, read, I read lots and lots of books and I read some fantastic stuff, real real good books that I reread even now and I read some really dreadful ones but it was enough to make me think "Mm, actually this looks like a good gig I'm going to have a go myself and I'm actually quite um, a cautious person naturally but I do have these I don't know I think my my brain short wires sometimes and I'll just do something that's completely out of character and and just turning my back on what was a well-paid job to do something that held no security whatsoever was was a pretty big step, but that's the best thing I ever did. <laughs> you hinted a little bit a bit ago about uh, what was coming in 2020. Anything mm. else you want to throw out there about what's coming soon? Well, as as, as I was saying, I'm really looking at at, at, at two tracks. I'm very, very keen on, on going down the, the psychological thriller suspense road. And I'm, I'm reading more of that, that, that type of stuff in, in MM at the moment. And I've been reading quite a lot of Gregory Ash, who, who, is, who is really good. Uh-huh. I'm really enjoying his, his books. And that's actually been good for me because I've, I've been very much going down the, the, the mainstream MM romance route, route, if you like. But of course, there's all this other... MM stuff out there, the other subgenres that are there, and and I really feel that I'm starting to to know what I want want to write going forward. But as I say, it's a, it's a two prong thing. I, I've really enjoyed the, the the sweeter stories, and I do like stories about sort of home and family, like found family, making connections and and so on. And I am thinking that 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 maybe I should spread my wings. And, and get on a plane, so to speak, and sort of, you know, land somewhere in in any Townsville, America, and set set some stories in 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 a in a small town. But exactly how how to do it, 
and I've got some I've got some really good story ideas that I've I've, I've jotted down with a, something old fashioned called a pen on something that's called paper. So I, I've, I've jotted jotted those down. I think I think they could fly actually. But again, it, it it's something that I I, I want to sit down and sort of talk through with with others who've been in this sort of situation because I know that they're out there. So in short, what I see is is me going down two two tracks. This is how I see it. Whether it will happen, yeah, who knows. Does that make sense? It probably doesn't. <laughs> it does. Yes, I'm, it does. I'm very interested to see what comes in 2020. Um... <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> you see it, you know, send me the memo. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the best way for everybody to keep up with you online so they can see what, what you do put out next year? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm on Facebook, obviously, as you know, a, a Reichart, and I'm actually working on a, a new website at the moment, but I'm doing it piecemeal. It's something I've got to knuckle under, but that's aereichart.com. And you know, if anybody's interested in in finding out more about my work and knowing what, I, what I'm doing, what I'm reading, what I recommend, then they can go there in order to sign up to my mailing list, which is a just a a very chatty, irreverent monthly news newsletter. It, it's a paper or the screen version of this, basically, mm-hmm. where I ramble. <laughs> but I don't talk about what I've been reading and what I've been listening to because I've got into audio and I've actually got an audio out there, just just one at the moment, and that's Captive Hearts, which is the the first in the Deviant Heart series. And I've been really thrilled by the response to to that. People are liking the story the story seems to have translated very well to to that format and the the narrator dan kelly is absolutely brilliant he's a, he's got a really really gruff sexy voice nice mm. london <laughs> going on in there <laughs> fantastic well ae we really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us not only about your various series but about your love for sweet Christmas romances as well. So thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGateVictionPodcast.com. And thanks again to AE for hanging out and talking to us about her wonderful Christmas stories and the other things she's got working on. And I can also tell you that since we recorded that interview, have tasted her mincemeat pies that she provided the recipe for, and they are oh so good. Super yummy. Now, coming up in episode 220, we welcome Z.A. Maxfield back to the show. She's a Coastal Magic-featured author, and we'll be catching up with her and talk to her about her latest releases. I always love talking to Zam, and I'm super excited to get to catch up with her because, honestly, we haven't seen her in a while because she's not been on the convention circuit lately, so... Looking forward to that. Guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.